This is KRP, Ken's Random Podcast. Welcome to episode 31 of KRP, Ken's Random Podcast. I guess I should mention at first that I'm still recovering from flu, COVID, or whatever in the heck it is, and I don't know if my voice will ever get back to normal. So if I sound kind of nasally, that's what the problem is. My guest today is Lonnie Hotard. Lonnie and I have known each other for ages, but it it certainly was not because of what we're talking about today. In, in another life, he did videography, and I think that's where we met. And I know you play in a band. I know you do a church thing with a band. You also have another job, correct? I'm a paramedic at Acadian Ambulance. I'm not a practicing paramedic, but I manage a building department there. Well, so multi-talented guy and a beekeeper. And what what is the official word? An apiarist. Apiarist. God, that's hard to pronounce, man. Yeah, but it's fun to say. Apiarist. I know. So my, my guest today, Lonnie, is a beekeeper. <laughs> All right. So why did you become a beekeeper? Well, 100% transparency, Ken, yes. because my wife wanted to raise bees. Ah, so Antoinette is the one to blame. Yeah, you can. It's in the short story. Yes. I mean, I had some interest in it as well, but I am not someone who likes honey. I don't. I've never really liked honey. I, I'll eat honey. I'll use it to sweeten certain things like coffee or tea or I'll cook with it. But for the most part, I'm not a very honey person. And she, we've always had a golf. So one year our garden didn't really do well. She's like, maybe if we had some bees, our garden may be a little more productive. I have an uncle who is a a beekeeper and he had been trying to get me into raising bees for a while. And then when I finally told him that, I was kind of going that way. He got excited and he's actually the one that got me started, but it was, it was Antoinette. So you would consider yourself not being a hobbyist. You would be a little bit more advanced. No, I I consider myself a hobbyist. I have only been doing it for a short time, maybe five years now, Mm -hmm. maybe a little less than that. I've had as many as 20 hives right now. I have eight. It's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of work. And I don't want any more. Being down here in South Louisiana where humidity is 100 to 100% and we have heat indexes above 100, being in a bee yard in all of the safety gear or some of the safety gear or even like I go in with the minimalist amount of gear, it's it's hot, man, and it, it wears you out. And sometimes you're lifting 90 pounds of honey or a 90-pound brood box constantly to, to do inspections. And it's... It's tedious, it's hot, it wears you out. Most of the work you're going to do is going to be in the spring and the summer. So fall and winter, there's not much work to do. So you're going to be in the hot months this time of year. And it's, it's miserable. You want to come help me one day? You were saying 90, like nine zero pounds, 90? Yeah, a lot. If you have a full box of honey or even a full brood box, which will have six frames of honey and four frames of brood or five frames of brood, five frames of honey. Each each one of those boxes can weigh around 90 pounds. I can't help you, man. Anything more than four pounds, I'm done. And those, and the hive, the boxes are stacked on top of each other. So you, to be able to inspect the boxes at the bottom, you have to lift the boxes at the top off. Now they're not all 90 pounds, but I mean, you're not going to, if you have healthy bees, you're not going to have a box 
you know, less than 50, 60 pounds. So you do sell the honey, right? I yes. Assume. Yeah. Yes, so sir. I do. What What is the brand name? So our brand is called Souf. It's spelled T-S-U-P-H. It's uh, Souf. S like pronounced like S-O-O. Okay. So the T isn't pronounced. It's almost like it's French, but I know it's not, right? It's it's Hebrew, actually. When we decided to brand it, we wanted something kind of that we can put our faith into. And we searched for some biblical words and we found this word suf. It actually has two meanings, which is kind of cool. So the noun part of it means honeycomb. Mm. And and the verb part means to overflow, particularly overflow with honey, but Honey in, is in a symbolic way to overflow with blessings, to overflow with, you know, all those great things that you have in life. So that's that's why it's such a, an awesome name for us. God promised Moses he'd lead him to the land of milk and honey. So it gives us an opportunity to talk about our faith, too. So when people ask us about it, um, it's just kind of I guess we had an ulterior motive when we named it. But, you know, <laughs> I understand. So where is your honey available? So most of it we sell out from the farm. So from here in Broussard, which really? we operate out of our home. We're on several acres of property here in Broussard. And most of it we sell from here, just word of mouth. People come and pick it up or I'll bring it to somebody. But we do have a few locations that have it in Lafayette. The gold exchange on Pinhook has a display with our honey that they sell. I've actually taught the owner or I'm teaching one of the owners or both of the owners actually how to be beekeepers. They have a few of my hives that I've given them. Tons in Broussard, Tons Restaurant, they were selling our honey for a while, but I've also taught Holly Gerard how to be a beekeeper. So she might start selling her own honey. Dr. Drew LeCompte at Village Vet on Bona in Youngsville has a display with our honey. He actually sells quite a bit of our honey there in his office. Some other places, Gray's Acadiana, the, um, the caterer in Lafayette, they purchase honey from us and they use it in their, their catering stuff. So if you've ever eaten any of the honey at an event where Gray's Acadiana was at, was a caterer, most, it's a good possibility you've eaten some of our honey. Can you give me a rough estimate of how much honey you actually produce in a year? Uh, well, in 2020, we produced several hundred gallons of honey. Last year, we produced very, very little. Last year, I had maybe 15 gallons, maybe 20 gallons of honey last year. We had a very rainy spring. All of the nectar that was within all of the trees that the bees forage on, which is mostly uh, tallow, Chinese tallow is the main thing that bees forage on here in Louisiana. The rain that comes washes all the nectar out, so the bees don't have as as dense of a nectar source to 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 forage on and to bring back. So the honey the honey production, at least for us, was was minimal last year. You mentioned rain and and bees. Uh, one day I'm just sitting here and looking out my patio, and it it's raining, and I see a hummingbird, and I'm like. I didn't realize those guys flew in the rain, but but they have to fly in the rain. Otherwise, they're going to die. But I didn't realize it would affect bees. They don't fly in the rain. If it starts raining, they'll they'll get out of the way or they don't like rain at all. They don't like bad weather. I, I try not to stay. I, I don't do hive inspections when it's overcast. And it's a weird temperament that bees have. If I open up a if I open up a hive in an overcast day when there's a lot of clouds and it looks like it's going to rain, they're going to. They're going to be really angry and I might get stung a lot. 
on a beautiful sunny day like today, I was out in the apiary just doing some external inspections and all my bees were flying. And I was able to just open up a, a hive this afternoon when the temperature was about 65, 70. It was a beautiful day and they don't bother you. But mm-hmm. if it would have been overcast and cloudy, yeah, I, I'm not going to open them up when it's like that. But I, But obviously you have been stung at least a few times. I've been stung a lot. <laughs> that's that's one of the that's one of the main two questions that I get asked is when people know I'm a beekeeper. One, do you make honey? No, I don't make honey. I, my bees make honey. I just rob it from them. And uh, two, do you get stung? Oh yeah, I get stung often. Does it hurt? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it hurts, but it's it's not as bad as if you've never been stung by a bee. It's it's. To me, it's not as bad as being stung by an ant. To me, an ant sting is worse than a bee sting. I'll get stung by bees, and I don't even—I won't even notice sometimes. And I'll go in the bathroom to take a shower and take clothes off, and see I got a stinger in my arm or my leg or mm. other parts. I'll be back with my guest, apiarist Lonnie Hotard, in just a moment. I'd like to take this time to tell you about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, I should tell you, it is free. That's right, just free. There are creation tools there that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, obviously, Apple and Pocket Cast, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Write anchor.fm. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. This is KRP, Ken's Random Podcast. Back to my guest, Lonnie Hotard. And Lonnie, bees produce honey. Like you said, you don't make honey. You steal it from the bees. What exactly is honey? <laughs> well, honey is it's it's mostly sugar. The bees will take pollen and nectar and they'll store it in their cells, the honeycomb cells, and then they'll actually mix it and then eat it. And it doesn't go in regular stomach. Bees have two two stomachs. They have a regular stomach and they have what's called a what I think is called a honey stomach. So it goes in there, it gets mixed around and they get some things added to it and they actually regurgitate it as honey and then store it and then store it in a cell until enough water evaporates and then they'll cap it off with wax. So it's, you know, for lack of a better term, it's bee vomit. Yeah. Where, all right. Where do they get the wax from? So they make their own wax. They have uh, sweat glands like we do. They actually sweat wax. They The sugars and other things that they eat when they exercise or when they exert energy, the way we sweat, they sweat as well. But the liquid that they sweat, once it, it touches air, it turns into a flake of wax. It hardens up into that to that wax. And then the other bees will come and take it from their body parts that that it kind of builds up on. It looks like a scale and they'll chew it up and form it into whatever it is they're trying to make, whether they're capping with some honey or they they're making honeycomb. Can you tell how much honey a bee makes? I've looked that up at one time and it's not, it's not a lot. And I mean, there's, there's facts out there. You can easily find a search on that to find out 
you know, how many flowers a bee has to visit mm. in order to make, you know, a drop of honey or, or whatever it is. Well, that's why they call them worker bees, right? Yeah, they all, and they're all women. It's just the women that work. The men don't do anything. The queens don't do anything either. What do the guys do? The drones, the males just take up space and eat and uh, mate. And that's it. And they mate, they mate once and die. And the, the workers in the fall, if, if the queen isn't going to mate anymore for the rest of the season, all the female workers will actually force all the male bees out of the hives to go fend for themselves and basically die. They, the, all the workers kick all the men out at the end of the season. And then they just make new ones. Tell me, tell me about bee stings. I'm going to rewind. You know, we know that you get stung a lot, but we got a queen bee. We got worker bees. We got drones. Which one of them actually sting? Do they all go out there and get vicious? So the worker bees are the ones that normally are the ones stinging. The drones, the male bees actually do not have a stinger. The queens have a stinger, but they, they rarely sting. It's, it's, I don't know what the deal is. The queens, they just rarely sting. They can sting. I have been stung by queens before. The neat thing about queens, though, they could sting and sting and sting and sting and sting. They'll sting over and over again without getting their stinger stuck in you because the queen stinger doesn't have any barbs on it. We mentioned temperature earlier. How do they adjust to hot days, cold days? Do they have any, you know, like little fur coats they put on in the wintertime or what? So in the wintertime, what they do is they huddle together and they, the queen will get get in the middle of the hive or in the middle of a frame and the rest of the colony will huddle around her to keep her warm, to protect her. But a really cool thing that they do, and they they do this to keep warm and to keep cool in the summer, but they use their wing. And you might think, well, how do they use their wings to, to keep warm? Bees have the ability to disconnect their wing, their flying muscles from their wings. So they can actually disconnect their wings, flap their wings without flapping their wings. And the muscles generate heat and keep the hives warm. Summertime, obviously, they beat those little wings to stay cool. Yes, and to also to, to fan the water out of the honey to get the water content down. So a lot of times in the summer, what I do is I prop the uh, the top of my hives open with a pencil or something the size of a pencil, so it kind of creates a draft. So the bees at the front of the hive, at the bottom of the hive, where there there's an opening, will fan in the hive. They're doing two things. They're trying to, they're, they're assisting to keep a draft to keep the hive cool. And they're also fanning their pheromones to, to, you know, kind of light a path for the workers who are coming back to the hive. But the draft will come in from the front of the hive and it'll go through the, the hive and out the top of the hive where we have them cracked open. Some other things they do during the summer is something that's called bearding where I know you've seen the pictures or the videos where some people will put some of the queens pheromones on his face and the bees will come and make a beard no. uh, like a bee beard that there's actually a, a thing that beard, bees do called that we call bearding when it gets too hot inside the hive a lot of the bees from inside the hive will climb onto the outside of the hive and the, just big huge clumps of bees will be draped on the bottom of the hive or the bottom of the landing boards and it, it looks like a, a bee beard on on the hive and it, it helps to cool the hive off. Now let's talk something controversial because there's not much controversy in beekeeping, I guess, but I may be wrong. Now, Joe Rogan 
is a person that some whack people like Neil Young say he's spouting misinformation. And, and Neil Young says, I want Spotify to pull all my music till they take Joe Rogan off. Joe Rogan just signed a 10-year contract worth $100 million. Do you think they're going to drop him because, what, Neil who? What? I hadn't listened to Joe Rogan ever until this whole Neil Young thing. I mean, I know who Joe Rogan is, and I I remember that that game show that he used to host, which I thought was a really cool game show. Uh, But I never listened to any of his podcasts. But, you know, people are accusing him of spreading misinformation. but. I mean, there's so much inf- misinformation out there. And look, I, I'm probably going to get hated on by this from the rest of the B community. My observations are not shared by most of the community, the beekeeping community, most of the people in the world. Because right now, if you, if you Google, you know, the decline of bees or you Google what bees do for the world, you'll find that most of what you see in these searches or the media is that bees, honeybees, honeybees that produce yeah. or help with like 80% of the pollination of our food sources. But if you take a deeper dive into it and look at it and you start researching the crops that we have and how they're pollinated, you'll realize that that's not necessarily the case. And actually honeybees and all of the other pollinators out there actually only um, contribute to about seven or eight percent of pollination for food sources. For instance, the United States, not many people know this, but the honeybee was, is not native to North America or South America. It was, a, it was actually brought here by the Europeans in 1622. So from the beginning of time until 1622, what pollinated 80 percent of the crops that everybody who was already here lived on? Wind. Um, when it's when yeah, so google it research it do your own do your own research on it the, the top crop in the united states is corn corn is pollinated by wind and if you look at the other 10 or the other nine in the top 10 most of them are pollinated by the wind i mean corn wheat grains oats Grass is one of those top crops because we make hay to feed our cows, which cows, cows is a food source and grass is pollinated by wind. Pecans, sugar cane, it's all wind pollinated. I'm sure some people are going, oh, no, he's wrong about that, because they say, you know, that if the bees die off, we're toast. As long as the wind's going, we should be okay, right? Well, there are some things that that bees do pollinate. I mean, a lot, most of our fruit trees are pollinated by some type of pollinator, be it bees or wasps or butterflies or birds or some of those pollinators. A lot of our fruit trees do rely on pollinators. Most of our vegetables from, you know, gardens, garden vegetables, most of those rely on pollinators too, but it's not just honeybees. I mean, there's other types of bees. Soybeans. Soybeans is a good example. Soybeans, it, maybe it's not soybeans. It might be sorghum. I don't know. One of those <laughs> is actually can actually be assisted with bees, but it's not a honeybee. It's a cutter bee that that pollinates that crop. Now, I know one of the big things that a lot of beekeepers do is ship honeybees up to, to California to pollinate the 
almond groves and also up to in the New England states to pollinate the apples. But the majority of our crops, our number one crop, corn, and all those other ones, oats and wheats and all that, that, that's all wind pollinated. What's the lifespan of a bee? Queens can live two to two to five years. Most worker bees live two to three months. They burn out, man. They do. And all of the bees that are flying around doing the foraging are mostly your older, older workers. Mm. Uh, the younger, the younger workers are there to keep the hives clean and they're nurse bees. So once they get a little bit older, they'll start feeding the, the larvae. And then when they get about middle age, they become guard bees and they're the bees that protect the hive from intruders and are at the door waiting for non colonists come in and they do the attacking and then once they get past the the age where their venom is most potent they get sent out to go do the foraging what's with smoke you got there with that little smoker thing and why so smoke blocks their sense of their ability to communicate hmm. so the what the smoke does is it it'll it'll mask off some of their their pheromones so if the queen decides she wants to set the set the alarm off and send them into attack mode the the smoke will block will, will block some of that it'll still happen it just won't be as aggressive it also has some kind of calming effect which i don't really know the answer to as why but i do know that the smoke does block their ability to to be able to communicate with their with their pheromones but they they have other ways of communicating i don't want to get too deep into this but i guess we ought to mention Africanized honeybees. We were told the killer bees were coming and we were all going to be decimated. I, I don't remember hearing anything about that recently. So the killer bees, the Africanized bees are actually already here. I believe the last thing that I've read was that Arizona was 100% Africanized. And when I say Africanized, I don't mean every single bee is 100% genetically African bees. Mm-hmm. I mean that there is a percentage of African genes within those bees. Texas, I think is last I've read is maybe 70 or 80% of their bee colonies have some form of African genes in them or some percentage of it. And I've heard Louisiana is nearing 10 or 20%. The last, the last I read, I don't, I don't know how factual all of that. I do have friends that are beekeepers in Arizona and they are always fully, fully garbed up in their PPE anytime that they go deal with anything with bees and some of them have sent me some videos and the horror it's it's like a horror story some of the videos that they've sent me but for the most part it's real they're here they're not going away but there is a positive side to it the Africanized gene is a very strong gene. It's a very, they make a very strong bee. They, they thrive, they reproduce very quickly, and they've expanded super, super quick from the time that they were introduced. And in, I think it was Peru that they were first brought into a university in Peru. From the time they were introduced to the time they got here has only been, you know, maybe half a century while when the Europeans brought the European honeybees in 1622, it took almost 200 years before they made it to California, to the West Coast. So the Africanized gene has become a uh, a very uh, top of the food chain type of type of gene, I guess you can say, and they they spread rapidly. And it's it's a very it's a very healthy bee. They're, 
it's resistant to some of the diseases and resistant to some of the other things that have contributed to the, to the decline of some of the other races of bees. So while while we have seen some decline of some of the European or Russian or Italian bees with some colony collapse or some bees that are susceptible to and other pests and diseases. The African bee has thrived and is expanding quickly, expanding the population of bees. And for all those people who, you know, save the bees and an Africanized bee is, is helping that, that cause. I've always been told buy local honey because if you get some from some big conglomerate in Massachusetts or something, it's not going to have the same effect as buying something from Lonnie Hotard because I live five miles from your house. So if I've got allergies, your honey would tend to help me, correct? It would. But for you to get the most benefit of the bees from uh, my apiary, you should be within three miles of my house. So if you can get honey from a source within three miles of you, that's when you're going to get the most benefit because those bees are the ones that's bringing in the pollen that is, is around you. So the you're going to have the same stuff in that in that honey that you're being exposed to, and it's going to help you build up an immunity, or it's going to help your your immune system fight off of those those allergens a lot better yeah. uh, because you're you're being exposed to it in a different way rather than through your respiratory system. I've seen Chinese honey, and I assume it's just as bad as Chinese crawfish. Correct, man. If you've seen Chinese honey here, it's actually illegal to import. Chinese honey into the United States. So the Chinese were exporting honey that was cut and it was basically not, no longer honey. If you go to the uh, National Honey Board, there's, there's a lot of different requirements of what, what honey needs to be. There's a specific water content that it has to be and it has to contain pollen spores and that type of thing to be considered honey. And, and look, I'm not all up in the regulations. I'm just a hobby beekeeper. But yeah, the Chinese were cutting it and, and diluting it and selling it in masses to different honey suppliers and they, they got stopped and they actually started shipping honey to other countries to try and get it exported to us, to, you know, via other countries and stuff. Um, so how do you fake honey? What do you cut it with? They cut it with water. They cut it with corn syrup. There's actually a show on Netflix that details a lot this about it. And I, I can't remember the name of the show, Ken, but it's a series of kind of all of the, uh, there's one about sugar. There's one about honey. There's one about the chicken, the poultry industry, but it's a series about, about all of the bad sides of different, different industries in, in our country. It's a Netflix. My guest today was Lonnie Hotard, and you can find his honey at Tons in Broussard, Village Vet in Youngsville, Gray's in Lafayette, and the name of the honey is Suph, T-S-U-P-H. The T is silent. Thanks for joining me today for episode 31 of KRP. I hope you'll share it with your friends on Facebook or email or whatever way you want to share and I do appreciate those shares because it does help build a bigger audience. I thank you and I hope to see you in the next episode. This is KRP, Ken's Random Podcast.